Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast, The Pastor's Corner. Uh, today, Pastor Dennis and I will be discussing 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, and what it actually is saying about temptation and suffering. Uh, that this, this verse is often taken out of context and, and is uh, misunderstood, and what it's actually talking about in a broader context is idolatry. Right, and this verse that we're talking about has often been taken out of context. It's been twisted. Uh, I've heard it supposedly quoted where the key words are moved around. And uh, I think we all understand what twisting means, but, um, but moved around and different words are used. And, and so I think when we quote scripture, especially in the middle of trying to help someone else, we need to make sure that we get it right. The words matter. Um, we have to be careful that we don't twist scripture um, in such a way and trying to help someone, but then end up saying something that scripture doesn't. Um, you know, we, we know a bunch of, you know, I would call them American proverbs. Um, they're not necessarily biblical proverbs, and they're certainly not biblical truths. Um, but things like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, you're not going to find that in the Bible. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Well, that defeats the purpose of Jesus coming. And so, um, so yeah, there's, there's things that we say, um, but context is king. We have to understand the context. Um, and so what we're going to do this morning, um, as we're recording, it's morning, um, we're going to look at the entire passage, First uh, Corinthians 10, verses 1 all the way through 22, we're going to focus on 10, 13, and we're going to try to do it in such a way that we don't end up doing the same thing that we're arguing against um, by just taking one verse. Um, but we do want to read the entire context. We'll give some thoughts on the context there as it pertains to idols and temptation, and then we'll take a look at, so what exactly does verse 13 of chapter 10 actually mean? And, and how is that hopeful? How is that helpful um, for us today? So I just want to go ahead and read, uh, starting uh, again, verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual fruit and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let Anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, 
He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the, is it not, excuse me, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread whom we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that pagan sacrifice, that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now that ends with verse 22. The next passage begins talking about the glory of God and doing all things for his glory. So we have this passage here, verses 1 through 22, which I think is a brilliant passage. And thankfully, Paul explains not just what he's talking about here, but he he gives his argument and then he anticipates the questions. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that he's like, so what am I implying here? Well, I'll tell you what I'm implying. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. You know, uh, Peter wrote um, to his followers and said, you know, and I know we've talked about this before in different podcasts, but where he basically said, I see that you're reading the letters of Paul. Well, that's fun. Um, and, you know, they're, they're difficult. They're hard to understand. And thankfully for us in this passage, he's like, I feel like you're going to have questions. This is what I'm getting at here. Don't mess with idols. You can't play with idols and pretend that you're still following Jesus. If you're trusting in idols and you're following idols, you're, you're drinking the cup and eating at the table of demons, not the table of the Lord. And up until that point, I think it's like, Oh, I'm tracking with you. That's it's a good word, Paul. It's a good word, you know? And uh, then we get to that part and it's like, Oh snap. That's that's true. We need to keep things in the proper perspective that when we engage with idols and it doesn't matter what the idol is, when we engage with idols, our eyes are not on Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. Those in Egypt, as they were leaving Egypt with um, the Israelites, they were in the wilderness and they took their eyes off of the rock, which Paul identifies as Jesus. I just had a long conversation with a guy last week about how Jesus didn't exist until until God placed her in the womb of Mary. And it's like, well, what do you do with this passage that he he identifies? The rock that followed them, the person they put to the test with the serpents, the one they dis- displeased and disobeyed, it was Jesus. So without going too far into that debate, um, the point is Jesus was there. Um, there. We can see that this is there, not just for them because this happened, but it's for our instruction. Um, so what are we being instructed on in this passage? And I think it goes along with, you know, kind of where you see your area of study and focus kind of being centered on idolatry of different things. And so I'll let you. Yeah. So, so 
like you said, my primary area of, of research is, is idolatry. And I, I think that's why when we look at passages like this, we ignore all of the idolatry part and focus on something else in the middle of it that makes us feel better about ourselves or about our ability. Uh, but the, the long and short of it is that idolatry is never going to lead anywhere good. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> we were talking about it earlier, Calvin's quote of, you know, our hearts are idol factories. Um, we can't help but to, <clears throat> excuse me, worship idols. I mean, even in, in the wilderness with uh, the golden calf narrative, they, they they were afraid, so they made an idol. And, and why is that? And and I think we see it today constantly. Well, if if God would give me a sign, I would believe. We need that like physical, that that uh, obvious sign that um, He's there, and this is what it is. But that's not how this works. You know, the the it's the demons and and whatnot that this is um, saying, uh, referring to. Like they're going to give us false signs. That's that's where we're going to be led. We're going to be led astray uh, because, like you said, we're going to take our eyes off Jesus. Uh, we're going to say like, well, this is this is more convenient, um, and and that's just that's a a dangerous thing, and it gets dangerous really fast. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why it gets so dangerous is because it very clearly, um, if we don't follow what this is teaching, our eyes very clearly get taken and put on something else. Our focus is off of God. And we realize if we were able to save ourselves, if we were able to fix this for ourselves, then we didn't need Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but those being led out of Egypt, they couldn't save themselves. They needed God to send someone to lead them um, to salvation. Now we're talking about, you know, um, a specific type of salvation. They were being saved from a, a form of slavery. Um, when we talk about salvation in Jesus, obviously we're, you know, we're talking about eternal salvation, um, being saved from God's wrath and being set free from the weight of our sins. We recognize that. But I think that one of the struggles that we have living in America today is that we no longer have a proper view. Well, first off, we don't, we don't really have a proper view of God. But beyond that, we don't have a proper view of idols. This verse uh, that we're talking about today, verse 13, I'll read it again. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, a lot of people take that verse and they say, see, God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, so if you're struggling it's only because God knows that you can handle this. Uh, and I, I want to be careful because I don't want to judge too harshly because I don't think that people misquote this verse on purpose to cause any type of theological harm. But rather, it's normally, I've ne I don't think I've ever heard someone quote this antagonistically or maliciously. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard anyone intentionally malign scripture with this verse to try and trick someone into 
bad theology. Okay, so I want to be careful. I think that most often when people use this verse, it's to try and help someone. Someone is going through a dark depression, like, well, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's not entirely true. And that's really not that helpful. (laughs) Because if you're in the middle of this dark time that you feel like, man, I just, I, I don't feel like I can do this any longer. I can't, I can't continue this fight. I'm at the end of my rope and I don't know what else to do. And then you have someone that comes in and like, well, I don't know. I mean, I know it's rough, but he's never going to give you more than you can handle. So, um, you know, dust yourself off and keep moving. Uh, well, no, first off, God does promise that he's going to give you more than you can handle, because if you could handle everything, then it's not really worth needing God. And if we don't need him, then he's not worth worshiping. So we do need him. Uh, we definitely experience when it comes to suffering, there's, there's more than we can handle in the sense that it makes us realize our dependency on God. Um, whether it's God the Father, whether it's the Spirit praying and making inter- intercession on our behalf, praying what is the will of the Father, because he knows the mind of the Father, um, as Romans 8 talks about, whether it's the Son who is making intercession as the um, the, the participant sitting at the right hand of God, again, Romans 8. And so we see these things happening. We know that God regularly gives us more than we can handle. So what is this verse actually talking about? And it's talking about temptation. There's a reason why scripture says, um, flee from temptation, but resist the devil. And, mm-hmm. and again, I, I know we've talked about this before, but we get those mixed. We try to resist the temptation and we try to flee the devil. But here Paul says that, um, there's temptation. It's going to come. You're going to suffer. Now, there, there is a difference between suffering and temptation. We can talk about that in a minute. But, uh, but it says, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. And so none of us can ever sit back and say, I am the only person in the world that has ever had this particular struggle. You may be the only person you know that has that struggle. You may be the only person you've ever heard of that has that struggle. Um, But God promises he's not going to allow you to be tempted with something that no one else in the history of the world has ever um, been tested with or tried or tempted with. Um, You will be tempted, and that's because you live in a fallen world. So how how do you read this verse, and what does it mean to you? So, So one of the things that I think of with this, is different, different, well, tests. Um, so I, I, when I went and did my, <clears throat> my test for my fourth degree, uh, Don ranking my, my black belt, you know, it was a five day long test. And they, they told us the idea of it is that you cannot do this alone. You need your team. Um, there's four of us testing for that at that time for that rank. Um, and that, that was the idea is that you're not going to get through this by yourself on your own power. Uh, and you see that with police academies, you see that with military, you see that with any kind of um, thing like that. And that's what this is saying, except on a much broader scale, you're going to be going through something. Uh, and with God, you're, you'll get through it. Uh, it's not saying that, well, like you said, he's not saying, well, you know, he won't give you more than you can handle. It's, 
no, he, he won't give you more than he can handle uh, is a better way of looking at it. And, and that's the thing with the, those kind of temptations. You know, we, we all deal with these temptations. We all deal with struggles. We all deal with trials. Um, but the other thing that we need to realize when we talk about things like this in light of the Old Testament and comparing it and understanding it in light of things like the Exodus is that the Old Testament in a lot of ways is a shadow of things to come. So that salvation, that crossing the, the Red Sea uh, away from the, the uh, uh, Egyptians, uh, pursuing them, the idea of after the generation had passed away, entering into the promised land, all of that is fulfilled fully in Christ. That was only a partial thing. Yes, that was a physical salvation. Well, now in him, it's a, a pure spiritual salvation in the same way. He helped them get through trials and, and temptations in different ways. Uh, and in the same way, now spiritually, he's going to help us get through this and learn from him. Uh, it's not that we can do it on our own. It's that we can do it through his power. It, it's the same thing with the, the verse in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, that's probably, if not the one of the top five most misunderstood and taking out of context it's not well i can go and do strongman because he'll strengthen me it's i can do what he's called me to because of his strength and endurance and that's the same idea of what paul's talking about here right well and that it goes along with um i can't remember the exact psalm but it says delight yourself in the lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart you know if we understand how god operates the closer we delight ourselves or the more we delight ourselves with him the closer we uh, align ourselves with his desires. Uh, his will becomes our will. And uh, we want less of ourselves and more of him. And, uh, but yeah, I've, I've seen that <laughs> with Philippians. It's, it always shows up in the weirdest places when you, you know, see the artwork and stuff that that verse is used on. <clears throat> I've, been, I've been told by people going into like jury. So for anyone that doesn't know, when you're in music school, at the end of every semester, you have a jury. And theoretically, it's the time that they judge whether or not you're going on. Um, and I have known people that don't continue in music school after a bad jury. I know people that had to retake an entire year because of a bad jury. And somebody said going into it that they quoted that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm like, yes, but this might not be that. Yeah, well, and I maybe we can do a podcast series on misquoted verses because it just reminds me of, you know, graduation when you when you write out. Jeremiah 29 11 and you're like do you know what you're asking for here um because yes he does have plans for you to prosper it is not going to look like prospering for a while um so here in first corinthians 10 13 when he says he will not give you temptation except that which is common to man it's another way to to say what what's said there um it means you're not alone Okay, your temptation, it's the temptation that is coming is a test. We talk about temptation. There's there's temptation to sin. There's temptation uh, in the sense that it is a test. So what's the what's the goal of the test? The test you were talking about with your black belt, the goal is to either test whether you are ready or prove that you are ready and allow you to move on. Um, the goal is 
the goal should not be, we want to break you down so that you fail. The, te- the goal in that test should be, we're going to break you down to see if you have the mental steel, the, 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 the spiritual formation to keep pushing when physically you ran out, you've got nothing left, but can you keep pushing at that point? So we understand the sports references, um, but we also recognize that in scripture, you know, there are temptations that were intense. There were tests that were intense. Um, you know, the, but the, what's the goal of the test? What is, what is happening and, and what's the desired outcome for this test? Obviously, you have a choice in the midst of your temptation. You can choose to flee the temptation and pursue God, or you can choose to give in. And we don't like to look at it that way because we say, well, it's, it's, it's not so black and white. You know, there, there's things that aren't necessarily bad. Um, well, they, you know, we've heard the phrase too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Um, you know, we know that with like dietary supplements, um, you know, a little bit might be helpful too much might kill you. And so, um, so we need to be careful, uh, when we use that rationale, um, but I, I knew a guy in uh, North Carolina that uh, when Rachel and I were engaged, we went to to see if he would do some premarital counseling before we got married. And we left after the um, it wasn't really an interview, but we were we went in to meet to discuss whether or not he would do our counseling. And we left after he explained that his goal. I don't know how successful his ministry was, but he said his goal was to break the couple up. Um, and he said, if I can get you to break up in my counseling sessions, then you shouldn't be getting married. And I'm like, well, if you break us up, we won't be getting married. And so, um, but then my thought was, should the goal really be to break a couple up or should you be uh, encouraging and strengthening this couple? The goal was if, if you can't handle my counseling, you can't handle what this world is going to throw at you. And I'm like, well, that's not very helpful. <laughs> uh, so what's the goal of the test? And, and just to reference that, I think having a little bit of that in premarital counseling isn't bad, but when it's your goal, that's a problem. Cause I have had friends that they ended up breaking up after premarital counseling or in the, the midst of it. Uh, the, the goal shouldn't necessarily be to break you up, but put some pressure on to see if you're going to withstand. But, well, but, there should be some level of conflict and I don't want to get too far off on a rabbit trail. There should be some level of conflict because not all conflict is bad, but if you go into marriage thinking, you know, Oh, this is just going to be the best time of our lives and we're never going to fight because we love each other. And every time I see her, my heart just goes bitter, pitter patter, the butterflies. And this sounds terrible. Um, but <laughs> the truth is the butterflies in your stomach, they die. Um, they can't last forever. Um, and so what do you do when the infatuation stage wears off? So a good premarital counselor is going to uh, encourage you to grow through that. But the goal of the test should not be, I'm going to destroy you. you right. know, we shouldn't, your counselor should not be like Dolph Lundgren and Rocky. <laughs> and like, if, if the relationship dies, it dies, you know, uh, no, that's not how this works. And that's not how God works. God does not allow temptation to break you to the point of causing you to sin. Uh, he actually tells you he's going to give you temptation, but he's going to give you a temptation that has already, he has already provided the escape. There's already a way out. 
we can never accuse God of allowing temptation in our life and be like, I had no choice. Um, you know, to keep bringing up movie references, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Captain Kirk changing the test um, because he, this is a super nerdy reference, but, um, <clears throat> but changing the test because he's like, I don't believe in no win situations. And so he rewrote the program. Um, well, when we talk to God, there is no such thing as a no win situation because with God, he has already provided a way out. Um, and now we're talking about temptation. And so we need to keep, you know, there's suffering and then there's temptation. Can you suffer in your temptation? Certainly. Uh, <clears throat> there was a level of suffering uh, when Christ was being tempted. He was hungry. Uh, he was hungry and he was being tempted with food. Um, you know, there's times that I look at that and I think I, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Um, but he went 40 days without food. And then the devil turned some rocks into food and was like, yo, just eat. And he was able to attack the inappropriate use of scripture with the proper use of scripture. And he was able to resist the devil. He fleed from that temptation by resisting the devil. And he did not engage the temptation. And he moved on. Um we look at that and I think, man, I, I, I might go a couple hours and then I see something that I probably shouldn't eat. And I'm like, ah, you know, what are you going to do? You only live once, right? Um, well, okay. So now we need to talk about temptation and the level of strength. Uh, you cannot accuse God of saying, well, he tempted me and I had no choice. I had to sin. It's the idea of, you know, we talk about the devil, you know, the devil made me do it. Um, well, I don't think we can claim that either. The devil does not control your thoughts. He doesn't control your actions. You may be manipulated into a certain action, um, but you cannot claim, I had no choice in the matter. I had no opportunity but to sin. Um, this passage argues against that. Mm -hmm. No, it does. And that that's one of the big things that we need to see with passages like this, that um, that there is a choice. There is that aspect we may struggle, but that's why we need a support group, especially, um, say it's, especially if it's a temptation that you know, that you struggle with, um, and whatever that might be, have somebody that you can call. If it's, if it's alcohol that, that you, you're an ex-alcoholic, you know, that you struggle with that temptation. If you're in a situation, and, and this is one of the principles of AA and most, um, it, most recovery from addiction things is you have that sponsor, you have somebody to call. And I, I don't think that you shouldn't do that because you can pray to God and he'll take it away, which he can, but he's also given you that person to help support you. Um, you know, it, it says that he's given you the, the way out. And sometimes that is with the help of those around you. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people point to, you know, AA meetings and they talk about the different, stages and the different steps and and they're like man it's a it's a really good program a lot of that is based off of biblical principles whether they realize it or not you know the idea of having an accountability partner or a sponsor you know as christians you have to have somebody that is going to hold you accountable um, i can't remember just as a side i think aa started as a christian organization if it wasn't it, it's it's spiritual with a christian emphasis yeah, I have. I've never looked into it. I've heard a couple different versions that one, it, it started as a, 
as a Christian thing. And then there's others that say, well, it started, it was, it was de- designed and, and implemented by Christians and um, not necessarily a strictly Christian organization, but um, right. so I don't know. But what I do know is you can find biblical foundations for some of the things that secular ideas um, come from. And, you know, and, and we see that, but having an accountability partner as a Christian is crucial. Um, I remember in, in college, um, there's a, a guy named Mike Calhoun, who's no longer with the college. He's actually at Summit Church um, as one of the pastors with J.D. Greer. But um, but he used to talk about having an accountability partner, and he, he still does. As a matter of fact, somebody just posted, another staff member from the college just posted and, and you know, reminded everybody he's been an accountability partner with, with Mike for like 30-some years. And um, and so they he is a good accountability partner because he is not not going to shy away from asking you the very difficult questions. Um, but he cautions everyone when he talks about having an accountability partner, his, his caution is make sure that it's somebody that you are not willing to lie to. Because the second you start lying to your accountability partner, it's not necessarily them and it's not necessarily their fault or their fault, but they are no longer, um, an effective accountability partner because you've broken that plane of I'm willing to willing to lie. I'm willing to not tell the the whole truth. And we all know a half truth is uh, a whole lie. And so, um, so having an accountability partner means somebody that can hold you accountable. They can ask you the difficult questions. You know, there are some struggles that it may be very awkward for you to go and ask someone to hold you accountable in this area. Um, well, for, for the safety of your spiritual walk, you need to have those conversations. Uh, you need to be willing to reach out. Uh, if you say, well, I, I don't want people to know my business, then pick an accountability partner that's going to keep things confidential. Um, so, be, you know, we all talk about, you know, um, you know, the number of friends that each person should have. And, and I caution people, be careful with who, how many people you share your your deepest and darkest thoughts with, because um, you can't trust everybody. And, uh, and so you need to be careful about that, but you also can't distrust everyone. Um, You have to have somebody in your life that you're willing to trust somebody that you can talk to about the difficult things, Um, especially during COVID Uh, emotional health, mental health is declining um, under COVID. temptations are getting stronger, especially the temptations. If you're locked in your house and you struggle with things that you typically only do when no one else is around, I feel like those struggles could be stronger um, because no one's around for longer periods of time. So you really need an accountability partner and really need to start reaching out and, and, you know, asking for some help. And there's some biblical principles for, you know, certain types of struggles. There's clear verses, you know, David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And I know people that their accountability partner have have quoted that verse and said, put that on a sticky note and stick that sticky note to the top of your computer monitor, or to the top of your TV screen. So that when you flip on that, that TV or that thing, the first thing you see before you even turn on the screen is that verse. And it's a reminder make good decisions with your clicks and with your channel changes. Um, don't do anything foolish. Um, and you know, I've, I've heard people, Oh, well, there was a pop-up and 
I, I, I don't know. Was there a close out button? Because you could have clicked the close out. God has provided escapes. God has provided ways out. Um, the question really is not, is God giving me more temptation than I can handle? The question is, are you using the escape routes? Are you, are you taking the fire ladder or the fire escape that he's already set up? You know, we say, well, the house is on fire and I couldn't get out. Did you look at all the open windows that you could have jumped from? I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but he has provided an escape. And sometimes, yeah, there's, you know, firefighters standing at the bottom with the little trampoline for you to bounce on safely. And then other times, yeah, it's going to hurt to jump out of this. And then we have to ask questions. How did you get yourself into that burning house? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, where, where are your idols at? Because with idols comes greater temptation. Um, the more that we take our eyes off of Jesus, the, the greater we, we see these other things pulling us and temptation comes in. But the flip side of that is also true. The more we focus on Jesus and the more we do for him, I feel like the world is going to attack even further. Mm-hmm. So no oh. matter how you look at it, as a Christian, you're going to face these tests. The goal from God's perspective is to help you recognize your need for him, but your requirement to be growing and removing yourself further and further from the world, separating yourself out. This world is not your home, so don't get caught off guard or distracted by the by the shiny things that are all going to burn up when all this is said and done. Um, keep your eyes on Jesus and don't accuse him of setting you up for failure because he's provided an escape. Um, the question is, we don't look at it that way and then we accuse him. Um, but the truth is we just, we just didn't take the exit ramp when we should have. No. And, and that's true. And I think one of the biggest things that, that we in our culture right now need to do when we keep this type of thing in mind is, is one, you know, know we see we need to see the difference between the temptation and suffering and you know temptation like we've said is in a lot of ways it's like the test it's it's the here's this are you going to use that escape route and did you get yourself into this test uh did you walk into that house knowing it was starting to catch on fire uh instead of turning around but then also seeing that that suffering shapes us so maybe suffering getting out of a temptation is to help shape you. Maybe you need to leave a job because of temptation. Maybe they're up to some illegal activities and your temptation is to stay in profit. Well, now you need to decide between stay in profit from ill-gotten gains or suffer with a loss of a job unexpectedly. Okay, well, maybe you're supposed to be shaped by that. Maybe you're supposed to grow into something. Maybe there is an opportunity God is calling you to and you you. He'll, he'll, it's not that there's always a reward, but it's that we are always shaped in our suffering. There's no su- suffering that goes uh, for, for no reason. There's no suffering that is just for suffering's sake. Um, there's always a reason. Now, I will say also, we may not see that reason uh, on this side of eternity. There's plenty of suffering that, that I've gone through that I can look now and be like, no, this is obviously like, at least in part to prepare me for this. And then there's other stuff of just like, why did that happen? Uh, and we see that with other people too. Right. And, and I want to be careful that when I talk about temptation, I'm not talking as an expert in the sense that like, listen, I don't struggle with any of this stuff anymore. So let me just explain it. No, I'm human. I, I have my own struggles and, and I regularly miss the off ramp. Um, 
so to speak, that, oh, yep, that's where I could get off and avoid this whole mess. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, and I'm just as dumbfounded as, as anybody in the middle of like, you realize, oh, man, I made it. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did this or whatever. Uh, and and, you know, you're kind of like on the other side of failing in that test, looking back and be like, I don't even know how it went wrong. I don't even know. Like, I feel like I went into it with a clear head. I feel like I went into it with pure motives. And then on the other side, you're just like, how did that even happen? Um, there was this kid I was wrestling one time, and I'll, I'll tell the story. We'll wrap it up. Uh, I I was wrestling, and it was the first time I was – he was very, very good. And I was wrestling him, and I actually put him on his back. And um, – very short version. Um, I wrestled and whenever we'd get in close, I wrestled, this is terrible. I wrestled with my eyes closed because I got my eye, my eye gouged in my first year. And ever since then, like when the hands are going, I just, I kept my eyes closed. Um, which is not a good idea. Um, don't recommend it. I did poorly because of it. Um, but so I had my eyes closed. So I know I put him on his back and I had him tight and, um, and I heard the, the co- it was in practice, the coach slapped the mat for the pin and I jumped up and I was like, yeah, cause I finally beat him. And he was so much better than me. And not only did I beat him, but I pinned him and I, I was like jumping up and down. I was so excited. And I was looking around and everybody just had this really dumb look on their face. And I was like, what? And they were like, you lost bro. And I was like, what? And I have no idea how it happened, but I went into it. He was on his back. I had him done. He was, he was done for. And I was the one that somehow got flipped over and got pinned. And I never even noticed moving. Um, And I feel like temptation is that way. Sometimes we go into it full head of steam. We're going to conquer this thing. Next thing you know, you lost. How? How did that happen? How you didn't even notice the switch. You know, you never even noticed even moving. You, you know, clear heart, you're ready to go. And next thing you know, you come out on the losing end. And temptation is tricky. It's not something to be trifled with. Um, There's a reason why scripture says avoid temptation, flee from it. Uh, And I'll always remember the story of Joseph uh, when he ran away from Potiphar's wife. And it always reminds me of those old time Looney Tune cartoon. Well, I say old time, (laughs) old time for me, um, new Looney Tunes for people older than me, but where the cartoon character would just like take off like Daffy Duck or one of these guys would take off in a puff of smoke and then like all their feathers are just left. And, and I think that's exactly how Joseph ran away. He ran so fast. He literally left her clothes. Like he ran out of his clothes. Uh, why he was going to get out of there. He was not sitting around to try and deal with that temptation. He was gone. And we miss that. And we, we don't do that in our daily lives. God is going to allow temptation that is difficult. He is going to allow suffering that is hard and it forces us to trust him. And in both cases, we have to trust him. We have to trust him for the escape from the temptation. And we have to trust him for the endurance for the suffering. Uh, in both, both setups, we have to trust him, but it is for our good. It is there to help us to trust him so that we grow to be more like his son. And when we miss that, we end up on the losing end. Uh, and and the, the, the bit that I'll add to that, because it's really good, is, is that 
we need to be continually having times of self-reflection. And if we did have some kind of falter with some kind of temptation, okay, how did that happen? How did I get flipped around? What, what happened that I didn't realize in the midst of it? But it, it is kind of the thing, um, you know, even if you want to be helpful to others that have the same temptation as you, that doesn't mean you should put yourself in temptation. Yeah. You know, I think of the, the show cheers where, where Sam is, is an ex alcoholic who runs a, a bar, you know, and a Christian might be tempted to do something like that to help others that are suffering in that situation. Although I don't recommend for, for that, that type of situation, but if you are an alcoholic, that is not going to be a place that you're going to most likely be able to minister without having extreme temptation. Maybe you are in a place where you can do that, but you need to make sure that you don't put others well-being above your own. You're, you're called to a certain thing. Maybe you you um, do something else that ha- accomplishes the same idea. Uh, even giving somebody else that is there, the the owner, the managers, whatever. Like if somebody's struggling with something, have them call me and I'll come take care of it kind of a thing. Um, but along with that self-reflection, we need to reflect on what our idols are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all have idols, uh, that there is no way around that. There is no, well, well, I'm a, a better Christian than that, that no, you have idols. It, it's, you might have them in check, but they come up like the idea of the heart being an idol factory. Uh, like Calvin said, is that they are continually being made. Um, you know, it could be as inconsequential seeming as sports. That's probably one of the most common but there's also idolatry of leadership. There's idolatry of politicians. There's idolatry of pastors. That's probably one of my biggest areas that I focus on is the idolatry of the pastor. Um, you know, there's all of these things. And if we aren't careful with it, we are going to fall into it, which is what this ver- this passage that brought more broadly is actually talking about. Yeah. Yep. And like I said, Paul wraps it up by reminding us um, that we are he asks a rhetorical question, you know, are we stronger than he? Obviously we are not, we are not stronger than him. We need to be careful about provoking the Lord to, to jealousy because when we continue to create these idols and give in to them and begin worshiping these idols and we're not willing to be introspective enough to identify the idols and then remove them. um, God is only going to put up with that for so long. He only puts up with it inside the church for so long, and he only puts it up with it, or put, excuse me, puts up with it in our lives for so long. Um, I, I don't want to be on that end of things. I don't want to be in a position where God finally has enough and steps in and removes the idols for me because mm-hmm. it's going to hurt. He's going to remove more than I'm comfortable with. And that's because he's got to remove the, you know, we think of surgeons. He's got to remove the infected tissue. Uh, He's got to get it out and it's going to hurt. And if you don't prevent it and you don't care for it early on, it's going to spread. And there's more of your life that's affected. And we talk about being at rock bottom. Um, There's some people that have testimonies. It wasn't until they hit rock bottom that they finally realized their need for Jesus. Don't wait. Uh, if you're you know, listening today, don't wait until rock bottom. Trust him. Follow him. Remove the idols. Be introspective. Do not provoke him to jealousy because I can guarantee you he's going to win out. We cannot stand in that day when his wrath is poured out. So we need to honor him and uh, 
he gives us a joyful life. He promises that he's going to give us life and that we might live it more abundantly. We can't have that abundant life if we're doing the very things that God hates. Amen. Uh, let us just continue to reflect on that. But let's let's end this time uh, with a word of prayer. Sure. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for... Uh, again, just giving us an opportunity to to share and to think through uh, just another aspect of Scripture. And, and I feel like we say this every time, Father, but I know that we're only touching the surface of what temptation is and how it applies. And, and really, the goal of today was not necessarily to identify all the different types of temptation or even to um, to clearly lay that out, but rather just to talk about that your word tells us that you are going to give us more than we can handle because it forces us to trust you. So we understand that. And, and in a sense, we can thank you for that because we know that it's for our good. We know that it's, um, while we may not thank you for the suffering itself, we may thank you for the result of the suffering. Uh, we may struggle with the temptations, but we know that you are allowing a test so that we might grow, that your tests are not designed to cause our sin. Your tests are designed so that we would follow you. Uh, obviously, the world is, is tempting us. The devil is tempting us. Uh, Father, help us to, to choose rightly. Help us to follow you. Help us to honor you in the way that we live our lives and the way that we manage these temptations. Uh, help us to learn from the example of your son who came to this earth and perfectly handled temptation. I mean, he was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he remained without sin. So help us to learn from that. Help us to grow. And Father, we want to love you. So help us to do that. Help us to trust you. Help us to serve you in all that we do. May you be glorified. And we just pray that you would bless this church and our people. We pray this in your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. We hope that this message was a blessing to all of you that joined in with us today. For any questions or comments on this or any other messages, please email us at pastor at mbaptist.org. If you have any requests for future podcasts, uh, you can also email us at pastor at mbaptist.org. For any prayer requests, please email us at prayer at mbaptist.org. We want to be praying with and for each and every one of you, whether you're a member of our immediate church family or not. We want to be able to uh, pray for all of you out there that listen with us. For more information on Mililani Baptist Church, please visit our website at mbaptist.org or follow us on social media and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you'll join us next time.